Why Watch That is a podcast featuring the critic and referee who go head-to-head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. While nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome Welcome to to Why Watch Watch That. So why watch that TV talk? Hey there, listeners. We've got a couple TV shows we want to talk about. So we're going to be in and out. Just like the famous restaurant in LA. In (laughs) and out. Let's start with the series premieres, The Fix, which is on ABC. And you remember that woman, Marsha Clark, mm-hmm, from the O.J. Simpson trials. Oh, that and one. If you don't know that, then you probably watched O.J. versus the people or whatever. I don't know what that was on FX. Um, and Sarah Paulson did a marvelous job of playing Marsha Clark. Yes, the same one. It's called The Fix. It's on a- or ABC. And believe it or not, it's probably closer to reality than you think. Hmm. Well, like you said, yeah, Marsha Clark is involved here. She co-created it. It's based on her experiences from that case, as you said. Uh, and it begins in L.A. in 2010 when lead prosecutor Maya Travis, played by the mentalist's Robin Tunney, anticipates that the jury in her case against Superstar actor Seve Johnson, who's played by Oz's Adewale Akanuye Agbaje, they're going to return a guilty verdict for the double murder of his ex-wife and her female friend. But what do you think happens? That sounds familiar. Hmm. Then eight years later, tragedy strikes again. Uh, this time, the dead body of Seve's 26-year-old girlfriend is found on the beach. And guess who everyone thinks is to blame? However, Maya's no longer a prosecutor because she left to live on a farm with her boyfriend, okay? Even still, her co-counsel from eight years ago, who's now the chief deputy and who's played by tyrants Adam Rayner, wants her to come back to help him right their past wrongs. But Maya will agree to be only a consultant on the case, nothing more. <laughs> and so will Maya and the prosecution be able to prove Savvy's guilt once and for all? Or is he actually innocent and there's more to the story? Also, is Maya a welcome presence? Remember, she's a loser, right? Regardless, both sides must be careful to ensure that justice finally prevails or something like it. All right, so here's the thing. If the premise of this show doesn't make you wince, and if you like glossy legal dramas that overinflate their unimaginative plot twists, then the fix might be up your alley. You'll get cat and mouse theatrics that don't land, a touch of unrequited love between two of the characters, can you guess which two? Shots of a sunny LA and a nighttime LA, plenty of characters on both sides, including one played by Robin Givens, who may or may not be telling the truth, and who may or may not have baggage that makes them untrustworthy. And there's a soundtrack that alternates between sounding like something from a standard legal drama 
and something from a show on the CW. However, for me, I've got to pass because there's very little to no substance here and the style is just too predictable. It made me sleepy. They gloss over a bunch of stuff so you don't have a lot of time to think about what you're seeing and they hit predictable or ridiculous plot point after predictable or ridiculous plot point like they think they've invented a new genre. So it's up to you listeners. Do with that what you will. Moving on to NBC, The Village. We've been seeing a lot of uh, commercials for this. It almost likes looks like This Is Us, but in New York City. I'm not sure what that means, but that's yeah. the vibe I'm getting from it. Great cast. The question is, are we going to keep watching this? Hmm. Well, let's start with this. Uh, here's The Village's tagline, Ref. Love is the thread that connects us all. Oh, yeah. So this is just as you said, it's another ensemble drama with heart. It premiered right after This Is Us, after all. So I'm sure that the powers that be said to themselves, hey, we got money on the line here, so let's just replicate This Is Us since it's so popular. I mean, why not? But can you be inspired by This Is Us and create something interesting to watch at the same time? Well, that depends largely on how compelling the writing is, right? And it depends on whether there are characters you can care about. So let me tell you who those characters are. Uh, But first, note that the village is set in New York City, yes. Its title doesn't refer to that famous neighborhood in Manhattan though. Instead, it refers to the name of a fictional walk-up apartment building in Brooklyn where everyone's like family. And living there is Nick Porter, played by former Alpha star Warren Christie, who's a military veteran. And before moving into the village, he was in rehab for an injury he sustained uh, while in battle. Okay, we got that. And then he gets a dog and all of that at the end of the episode. You'll see what that connection is. There's also Sarah Campbell, uh, played by SEAL Team's Michaela McManus, who's a nurse without enough time for herself because of her job and because of the troubles caused by her teenage daughter, Katie, played by Grace Van Dien. But love in the form of a pastry chef played by Nashville's Will Chase might be on the horizon. However, Sarah's also connected to Nick in a way that just might complicate things. (laughs) Now, along with Nick, Sarah, and Katie is Patricia Davis, played by Lorraine Toussaint, who's a social worker with a big old secret that she's keeping from her husband, Ron, played by Frankie Faison. And both Patricia and Ron are always on the lookout to help someone in need. For instance, Ron, who's the building's super and is a bar owner, helps Nick get acclimated to both the building and the neighborhood. And Patricia helps Ava Bazzotti, played by Tyrant's Moron Atias, and her young son, who are both in a precarious situation because of her immigration status. Ava's also helped by Ben Jones, played by Jared Haynes, who's a cop with a heart of gold. And last but not least, there's Enzo Napolitano, played by Dominic Chianese of The Sopranos fame, who's the kind of grandfather who likes to cause mischief and what's out of his retirement home. Instead, he wants to live in the village with his grandson, Gabe, played by the secret life of the American teenagers, Darren Kagasoff, who's a law school student. But Gabe has been exasperated by Grandpa for so long 
and has so much of a workload that living with his pop sounds like a nightmare. He couldn't possibly, right? And so, The Village is the kind of show that provides obstacles for all of its salt of the earth characters to overcome with the help of their neighbors, of course. And if you like that kind of thing and can overlook less than inspiring execution, then give it a look-see. Otherwise, here's the thing, The Village, Brooklyn is merely a setting instead of an inspiration. I mean, the creative team is so busy trying every tried and true trick in the book to give you this warm blanket kind of feeling that they're missing what's right in front of their faces, the borough of Brooklyn itself. I mean, as I was watching this, I kept wondering, wait a minute, what would it be to have a heartwarming show with the actual flavor of the boroughs of New York City? What would that look like? What would it feel like? I mean, that would be an interesting twist on an ensemble drama. However, hey, it's filmed in New York, but I wouldn't be surprised if you couldn't tell. After all, it's just too focused on scraping up the crumbs left by This Is Us to care. Dang, whoa, ouch. Moving on to Hulu's The Act, which is an anthology, uh, streaming weekly. So usually you get the whole, you know, binge uh, experience. But like The Handmaid's Tale, you're gonna have to wait. <laughs> um, now I've, there are posters all over LA, at least for this, and you know this definitely sickly little girl and this mother who's desperately holding on to her. But it is called The Act. So what's going on here? Ain't it? Now, this is based on a BuzzFeed article uh, written by co-creator Michelle Dean, and it begins in 2015 in Missouri. A young woman who's with her daughter has called 911. She thinks that something's wrong because her neighbor isn't answering her door. The 911 dispatcher asks her why this is so alarming, and the woman says it's because she saw a disturbing post on Facebook suggesting that her neighbor has been murdered. Oh. And the woman's so unnerved by all of this that she climbs into the house through her neighbor's window as she calls out for her. She's calling out for Dee Dee. But as the cops finally arrive on the scene, the woman, whose name is Mel, and who's played by Chloe Sevigny, realizes that no one's home. All that's left is a bunch of kid stuff. Okay. And then we're taken back to seven years prior. Dee Dee Blanchard, played by Patricia Arquette in yet another masterful performance, here it is, and her daughter Gypsy, played by Joey King, have just moved into a home that was given to them by Habitat for Humanity after they were displaced by Hurricane Katrina. And they're being interviewed by some sort of news outfit. And as the interview progresses, Dee Dee seems to want to do all of the talking, and she always has a smile on her face. Her daughter Gypsy, who's wheelchair-bound and who wears a hat to cover her bald head along with glasses that are too big for her face and who dresses and sounds too young for her age, she seems to be bursting with joy and is eager to answer questions as well. But Dee Dee cuts her off. Hmm. So it's up to the interviewer to request that Gypsy be allowed to speak, which she finally does. Hmm, again. And then after the interview, we see that Dee Dee's the one who shaves Gypsy's hair. But why? Does it have something to do with Gypsy's illnesses that Dee Dee medicates via a feeding tube that goes into Gypsy's stomach? And exactly what kind of illnesses does Gypsy have? 
we can see that Dee Dee's evasive whenever her daughter asks probing questions, and she spins a web of tales whenever anyone else asks. Hmm. In addition, we're formally introduced to Mel and her daughter, Lacey, who's played by Anna Sophia Robb. Lacey thinks that she and her mother should go over to the Blanchard house to welcome the new family to the neighborhood. But since Mel couldn't care less, Lacey goes all by herself. Now look, Mel's no one to be trifled with after all. And while there, Lacey seems to strike up a friendship with Gypsy as she gives Gypsy a little makeover. And we can see that Gypsy's in awe of Lacey because of Lacey's hair and because Lacey has a boyfriend. Keep that in mind. But guess who's lurking in the shadows as Lacey and Gypsy hit it off? Mama Didi, that's who. And Mama Didi seems on edge. Mm. And then as things progress, we learn more and more about Didi and Gypsy. And we know from the beginning that something's not right. After all, we've seen this kind of thing before. And as a result, right away, I ask myself, is Gypsy really sick? Or does Didi suffer from Munchausen syndrome by proxy? I also thought, hmm, I wonder what these two are hiding, and I wonder what's going to happen if Gypsy ever decides to venture out too far away from Mama. I also thought, hey, exactly where is this going to end? Was that opening 911 call warranted, or did Dee Dee and Gypsy simply wanted to cover their tracks as they once again hightail it to a new place? Also, what about the authorities and the doctors and the other gatekeepers that these two must have encountered over the years? How are they going to fit into all of this? Well, by the end of the first season of this anthology series, you'll have all of the answers. Plus, you just know that there are going to be all kinds of twists and turns along the way. And with that, here's what I suggest for all of you if you'd like to watch the act. First, don't look it up. Don't watch the trailer. Don't search for the show online or search for the article that inspired it. Even the title of that article gives things away. It says simply go to Hulu and start watching. Now, I do have to say that nothing in the first two episodes surprised me. And despite some truly horrifying moments, I'm looking at you, episode two. The broad sweep of it just seemed a bit too familiar, which was in stark contrast to its presentation at times as some sort of mystery. Plus, like you said, Ref, it's called The Act, so you know that there's a whole bunch of lying going on. Now, all of this might change after all eight episodes have been released, but I'm not so sure. However, the performances are really good. I mean, as I said before, Patricia Arquette speaking in a Louisiana drawl this time is wonderfully effective as Dee Dee, and she brings just the right amount of mania to her character, which is key. Joey King as Gypsy feels wrong in all the right ways as a teenager who's being pressured to stay in a childlike state of helplessness by her mom, or is she? And they're both supported rather well by a characteristically no-nonsense Chloe Sevigny, Anna Sophia Robb, and the rest of the cast. So if you're okay with watching a disturbingly familiar true crime story that's played out by actors who all came to work, the act should be just fine. For me, two episodes was enough. Now, let's end this with a season premiere of The OA on Netflix. This is part two. Uh, we're back at it. Do we care? <laughs> yes. Okay. Now, before I get to part two of The OA, let's recap part one. Prairie Johnson, played by co-creator Britt Marling, goes missing at the age of 21. 
then returns to her adoptive parents seven years later. But she's changed. She regained her eyesight, and she now calls herself the OA, which I won't reveal the meaning of, but just know that it stands for something important. And over the course of part one, we learned what happened to her during those seven years when she was in the clutches of a scientist named Hap, who's played by Jason Isaacs. You see, in order to achieve a mind-boggling scientific breakthrough, Hap experimented on OA along with others like her who've had near-death experiences. And he was holding them captive to do so, of course. Now, OA recounts this story to five other people who include four students from the local high school and one of their teachers. And the reason why is that she needs the five of them to help her save the others who are still held captive by half. It takes five strong people to do so. Now, if you haven't seen part one, don't worry, I won't tell you how that goes down. Just know that it's completely fantastical. And by the end of it, these five people seize the opportunity to become saviors, which leads to an unexpected outcome for OA and brings us to part two. At the very beginning of this new part, a terrible skateboarding accident occurs. Well, what's its significance? And then we're introduced to a private investigator named Kareem Washington. He seems to wake up from this nightmare with the skateboarding. And he lives in the Bay Area. He's approached by the grandmother of a missing teenage girl. She wants him to search for her granddaughter who made over $30,000 by playing a strange sort of mobile game that's really a puzzle and that levels up to the real world via augmented reality. It also compels you to play with more than just the promise of big payouts. But who would make such a game and why would they ensure that it ends in real world play? Is there something experimental going on? So that's one new storyline, which leads to another involving OA. She's now a rich Russian woman, which makes sense if you watched part one, who has a heart attack on a ferry after arguing with some man named Pierre over the phone. What in the world? Exactly. She then wakes up in the hospital and realizes once again that she's really OA. But which reality is she in? Has she traveled to a parallel universe? Has she gone to a new dimension? Because in this reality, while the people are the same, they're leading very different lives. Hmm. And so after the hospital discovers that she's having trouble with her memory, they commit her. But can you guess who's waiting for her when she arrives at the fancy psychiatric clinic that she's taken to? Also, how does any of this connect to part one? I mean, what about OA's adoptive parents? What about the people who helped her in her attempt to free Hap's captives? Well, the answers to all of those questions involve near-death experiences, of course, the ability to connect and disconnect the mind, body, and soul, double meanings, and mind-bending abilities, along with an imaginative exploration of how technology affects interpersonal relationships. So once again, the OA has come to play, and I'm telling you, you won't believe where it winds up in the end. Just don't try to figure it out before you get there. It's literally stunning. And now for my review. Once you get into the heart of the OA's first part, which is about halfway through, at its best, there's an insistence and a rhythm to this show, even in its slow moments, that encourage you to keep watching. At its worst, though, 
it, when it doesn't quite click into place, you can still tell that they're going for something. There's no lack of ambition here. And even when nothing makes logical sense, the OA somehow makes emotional sense, which is its intent. I mean, in part two, even OA herself says, quote, I'm not mentally ill, but I do think logic is overrated, unquote. And so the OA is for people who want to delve into the meanings of reality and of relationships and of dreams. It provides a strange sort of uplift in the midst of outright terror, leading to something that's deeply satisfying. And it has an odd, hypnotic, and sad kind of beauty. So to enjoy it, you have to let go of trying to understand every little thing. You have to feel it instead. Otherwise, it'll be easy to dismiss as silly, and you'll miss out on the chance to be transported by its creativity. You'll miss the chance to eventually get in sync with its idiosyncratic logic, if you can call it that. Because this is the TV show equivalent of truly deeply good yoga. There's a serenity and wonder that come through the discomfort and linger long after. All right, that's it. That's all we have. <laughs> Catch it here on uh, whywatchthat.com if you want to dip around for a little more information. We've given you a lot of homework, listeners, so go do your work. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea. And we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.